What's shaking cats and kittens? Rob Lee here, and today's episode of The Truth in His Art is sponsored by a new online art platform called Fire and Bliss Creative. Fire and Bliss is the first art platform that I've seen that focuses on the art of the LGBTQ plus BIPOC and ally artists exclusively. And I have to say, the pieces are amazing. Whether you're looking specifically to add diverse art to your collection, or you have a space that needs a bit of updating, every single print on fireandbliss.com has been created by a diverse, independent artist who maintains full control over their art and their profit. I worked with Fire and Bliss to curate a collection of my favorite pieces, like Somewhere Blue by Wodrich Francois. Shop my favorites at fireandbliss.com backslash truth and get 20% off your first purchase at Fire and Bliss. Again, that's fireandbliss.com backslash truth and use the code truth for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to The Truth in the Zard. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I have the privilege, the distinct privilege of chatting with makeup artists and all around just, just dopeness. Please welcome Perrin K. Morris. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I am very happy, happy to have you on here. We were talking a little bit before we got started. I'm going to be stealing. I'm going to take other suggestions. I need to know what to get. Take it all. <laughs> so it's all, it's all freely given. I appreciate it because look, as I get more pictures taken of me, I, I, I saw one. I had a photo shoot a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, "Yo, that's a spot right there. That needs to be normalized." <laughs> so it's like, look, I need to look like a different person. <laughs> um, but I want to start off. Um, so I gave a very sparse introduction, and I want to allow you to really introduce yourself, how you would would frame it, and what have you, and talk about how you got your start in the uh, makeup artistry that that journey. Okie dokie. So, um, hello, my name is Perrin Morris. I am a makeup artist in the DMV area. The way I like to frame it is that my job is to make everyone look like they drink water and are familiar with the concept of sleep. That is the baseline. (laughs) There we go. That is the baseline for everything that I do. At the bare minimum, when you get out of my chair, you're going to look like you have slept and that you've consumed water within the past six hours. That's the bare... (laughs) Because you'd be surprised how often people don't do either of those things so basically like that's bare minimum my job if i was speaking in terms of what i aspire to be um i aspire to be a makeup artist who specializes in uh creative editorial kind of makeup um fashion editorials that's my kind of like ultimate gig mm-hmm. but regardless i take care of everyone who sits in my chair for any kind of event except for weddings i do not do weddings i don't have the emotional bandwidth for weddings but <laughs> <laughs> so i pretty much do kind of run the gamut. Oh, I don't do special effects because you basically need power tools for special effects. That's that's just a whole separate kit. But yeah, I am your friendly neighborhood makeup artist. Pleasure to meet you all. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So I I moved this question up because I'm interested in it. Okay. Um, so people have a, an idea. I see everyone just a lot of people affix the MUA to their their Instagram, and it's like, are you though? So mm-hmm. could you tell me a bit more about the distinctions between? You touched on a little bit a moment ago, but tell me more about the distinction between like fashion makeup versus classic beauty versus commercial work. Sure. So mainly the biggest difference is like what the end goal of the image is going to be. Uh, for example, like classic beauty makeup, it's more about elevating the look of the person themselves, making them making them look quote unquote more beautiful. 
that's not really a philosophy I ascribe to, but basically it just means making the person look more presentable or more aesthetically pleasing in general. Uh, fashion makeup typically tends to be more on the creative side in terms of there's a specific aesthetic that the look is trying to either uh, aspire to be or like actually present itself as. Um, for example, if you take a look at Fashion Week, you'll notice that a lot of times the makeup that you see coming down the runway isn't necessarily geared towards making the person look beautiful. It's more so about making the person kind of fit the aesthetic that the fashion designer is kind of going for. So it's not necessarily about kind of like making this person look as stunning as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. It's more about kind of like contributing a narrative to the overall look. Um, in terms of like things like corporate or uh, like corporate headshots or film makeup, it's more about just like, for example, corporate, it's more about making this person look as professional as possible and as uh, with, with the least amount of product as possible. Um, but yeah, essentially there are a bunch of different types of makeup artists uh, and there are makeup artists who can like specialize in a bunch of different genres of makeup. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times makeup artists typically have kind of like one genre they stick to and kind of like uh, focus their career on essentially. And my eventual goal is to kind of focus my work around um, uh, fashion and editorial uh, type of makeup. Thank you. Very welcome. Uh, so, so do you have any icons and, and that you really like look out to? It's like, you know what, that's a, you, you got a good brush on you. Who are, who are the folks that you kind of, <laughs> kind of look at like, and who've inspired you throughout your career? So in terms of like fashion makeup icons, I have several, um, the person who really kind of like inspired me in terms of like that fashion aesthetic, he is this makeup artist. Actually, he's more of like, a, he kind of is like a multidisciplinary artist, but like, I know him from his makeup work. His name is Serge Lutens. Uh, I believe he's a Hungarian makeup artist. He was known for the work that he did with a makeup company called Shiseido, which is a Japanese brand. He did a lot of their work, and I believe it was the 70s, where it was very kind of like abstract and surreal. Um, he also did a lot of work for Chanel and Dior, it was actually like a really famous, I think it's a Dior photo book. It's just called Dior. And it's um, a face that features his work, which is basically just like a model with bleached out brows, slicked back hair, and just like two gigantic yellow circles around <laughs> her eyes. Um, it's like, if you ever see like, if you're on Instagram and you see like an influencer pretending that they read, um, they'll have like, <laughs> <laughs> basically like you'll see a fashion influencer pretending like they read and they'll have this book on like in their, like they'll either be holding this book or have this book somewhere in the background yeah. and it's very recognizable. But uh, his work uh, was very much kind of central into, his work is central to my aesthetic in a lot of ways. Um, in terms of like current working makeup artists, uh, there is this makeup artist, his name is Roshar. He does phenomenal, beautiful work. Um, a lot of his aesthetic is kind of based in the 20s, mm -hmm. where a lot of the work he does kind of is very reminiscent of that flapper kind of era. Um, another makeup artist who really does inspire the work that I do, especially in terms of like the skin, her name is Danessa Myricks. She is um, a really prolific makeup artist. The best way that I can describe her work is, this is the way I always describe it, like, if you look at her work, it's basically just like a bunch of really fancy, like wet Parisian cats. <laughs> That's like the best way I can describe it. Like they're very fancy looking Parisian cats and everyone is wet and they all look upset. <laughs> and that's... As I look at, because I'm typing this in and looking up the people as you're describing them, and the first image I see is like three women is like, you all look like wet cats. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Pryor. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Just really <laughs> fancy, like really put together cats that have been spritzed in the face a couple times and they're not pleased about it. 
<laughs> but they still look fantastic. That's kind of like the way I sum up, I sum up her work. Yeah. And um, I'm very much inspired by the way she does um, the, the way she does skin. And so I look to a lot of her work a lot of times when I'm trying to find inspiration for like how I should approach a look. It's great. Um, so let's let's say you're you're consulting with someone and that knows nothing about makeup, mm-hmm. right here. Uh, <laughs> let's say me. Um, what what is that that best piece of of makeup advice you could provide, like very very base level, and maybe share some of your like uh, skincare must haves? Sure. So when it comes to like bare baseline, know nothing knowledge, I always say start with a skincare routine first, just in terms of like putting together just like a bare minimum of what you should be doing to your skin to make it look aesthetically as pleasing as possible is to find a makeup, re- uh, sorry, find a skincare routine that works for you because the way, uh, the way you set up your skin in terms of skincare determines how the makeup comes out mm. 100% of the time. So it requires you, like, again, I'm not a dermatologist, so let me just put that out there. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, not a dermatologist. <laughs> I always recommend speaking to like um, a skincare professional, like a dermatologist or an esthetician to determine what your skin needs but um, barring that, I always tell people just kind of like, like pay attention to how your skin looks at like, say, like two in the afternoon after you've kind of like lived life a little bit and see what state your skin is in. Um, like, do you have like an oily T-zone or do you find yourself like um, like having a lot of like uh, like dry patches on your skin? Like focus on the features that you notice at that point in the day. And that can kind of help you determine what you need to do. Mm. Um for example, I'm very, very oily. So what I do is I always make sure that um, I make sure I double cleanse my face, meaning that I do uh, I do like an oil-based cleanser, then I follow that up with a foaming cleanser. This is all too involved for someone who doesn't know what they're doing. But <laughs> I'm just kind of sharing my basic routine. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. And then I make sure I do a little bit of a toner to kind of get rid of anything that the, uh, skin, uh, that the um, cleanser has left behind. And then I'll go with like a water-based moisturizer to make sure that my skin kind of soaks it all up and kind of stays nice and hydrated. Mm-hmm. And then I go about my day. Now, I do Now do I do this every day? No, of course not. I'm lazy. <laughs> but I always say try to have at least some sort of basic routine in mind in terms of what your skincare goals are. And that can kind of help set you up for success in the most accessible way possible. That's That helps a lot. Um, I, I got a, for my birthday, I got a gentleman's facial, which... Mm-hmm. As as I told my girl, I was like, "We got to call it something different. We got to make it a different name. It's just <laughs> it's just a facial, or it's, it's something just... else." And it, it was great because I I have the brow, I have the I have the 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 look, the bags under the eyes. Like you've been doing too much, Rob. And so with it, literally having someone just massaging my face for about mm-hmm. an hour, great. I'm yeah. going to oh. go back Thursday. <laughs> oh no, seriously, I always recommend like. Before any like serious event, I always say like get a facial two weeks beforehand, kind of like a haircut. Just kind of it kind of puts your face in kind of like a nice position to kind of recover what you've done to it for like the past six months before you need to be seen before you need to be seen in front of people. Yeah. So I always recommend a facial whenever you can because they're fantastic and delightful. And it's it is one of those things that I, I think. And you touched on it a little bit, like I am lazy as well. I mean, despite mm-hmm. getting up, trying to go to the gym, trying to do all of those different things, but certain details get missed because oh. it's go, go, go. Totally. And the air is trash. Let's not oh, forget no. that. So your face yeah, is exposed to it all the time. All the time. Oh, skin uh, sunblock is also very important. Um, again, when you can remember it, hopefully all the time. But um, that's also a very big factor that I try to tell people. There is this sunblock brand called Black uh, Black Girl Sunscreen. I think is what it's called, if I remember correctly. Um, 
it's like my favorite sunscreen. Um, doesn't leave any white casts on the skin that a lot of typical sunblocks do. Mm-hmm. But even us as like deeply melanated people, we need to be taking care of our, we need to be making sure that we're protecting ourselves against UVA and UVB rays. So a basic skincare routine and sunblock when you can, those are like my ultimate tips before I would even touch on makeup for anyone. Dope. Uh, now the, this is where, and I, and I feel like I want to get this, I'm going to get a very good answer here okay. <laughs> in, in your opinion and all your answers have been good by the way, but in, in your opinion, uh, what are some of the worst makeup tendencies and what's something that you, that, that you think is like underrated or what have you that's like, eh, less of that, more of this. Okay. So this is a really interesting question because I'm also, cons- I consider myself like a little bit of a social justice advocate. So bear with me a little bit. A lot of these tendencies that people have a tendency to like say, oh my God, this is terrible makeup. This is like, you should never be doing X, Y, and Z. A lot of that is kind of rooted in a little bit of racism and classism in terms of the aesthetics that are like kind of railed against on, in a lot of like professional makeup artist communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very much of a, it's your face, do what you want, not my business kind of person. So I'm not going to say that there is a trend that I think is absolute trash because I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. I've kind of grown out of that. But I will say, like, I do think there are trends that do not favor people in the long run in terms of, like, their own self-image in terms of, and in terms of, like, their um, their health in terms of, like, what they ascribe to. Sure. Uh, for example, I'm not a fan of, like, full coverage heavy-duty foundations, like the foundations that are meant to kind of, like me- like, flush everything out, only because, like... Just because a foundation says that it's like meant to be worn for like 24 hours doesn't mean it should actually stay on your skin for 24 hours. And typically, if you're wearing a foundation for that long, you typically don't have the best like removal process. Like you're probably not going to be too concerned with like how you take off all this makeup. Right. So I always try to advocate for less is more. You can get you'd be surprised like if you just kind of sat down with yourself and kind of analyzed what you want out of makeup. You'd be surprised how far you could go with how little product um so well like i said before like a lot of these trends that are kind of railed against in a lot of professional communities are like slightly rooted not slightly like full-fledged rooted in like in a lot of racism and a lot of classism because a lot of these looks are kind of like pushed forward by a lot of poc and lower income communities and so when you see people like kind of like railing against like oh my god her makeup is so heavy or oh my god why is she wearing all these cut creases don't get me wrong there are trends I talk smack about too. However, when you see that a lot of these looks that people kind of talk smack against, like um, cut creases, heavier foundation, um, like absurd colors, there are a lot of times rooted in people who don't inhabit those spaces. Mm-hmm. So I'm typically very hesitant to kind of like talk smack about these looks. Right. I won't do them because I generally think that a lot of times they don't like my, my, my brush doesn't lend that way. Essentially. Like I'm not good at doing those kind of looks and I don't think they're necessarily flattering. However, like a lot of the vitriol that comes from artists who are talking against these looks, Mm -hmm. they're like, they're a little bit sus. So I tend to kind of avoid those kind of discussions. Mm -hmm. It's like, if a girl wants to look like that, let her look like that. It's not my business. I'll send, I'll send her to an artist who specializes in those looks essentially. Yeah. But, um, there are like, but there are trends who I, do I, that I generally think aren't good for anyone. Um, like heavy contouring, like very, very heavy duty contouring. That kind of speaks to like a more of a misunderstanding of how the application process works. Um, so the thing about contouring is that it's, an, it's a technique that's meant to be seen from a distance. Mm-hmm. 
like you're like whenever you're doing like any contour highlighting you're typically doing that because the person who's being seen is going to be seen from a distance and under conditions that could that very much washes out their face okay like in a club or at a theater right so when you're doing that you're kind of meant to be reinforcing the bone structure and kind of like creating that depth that would have been lost that's going to be lost under these lighting conditions right it is not meant for natural sunlight essentially it is not meant to be seen by the light of the sun. Right. So a lot of times people will misunderstand and think that it's a step that needs to be done for every single time they're doing their makeup. And they're not realizing that they look like they lost a fight. They look like they lost a fight with a hot Snickers bar when they're walking to the grocery store. So <laughs> I tell them that a lot of these things aren't like, they're kind of, they're not meant for every day. Yeah. And so like when I'm doing these kind of looks on people, if they're not being photographed by camera or like, or they're not going to an event that's going to be recorded. I very rarely do any heavy contouring because it's not going to lend this. It's not going to do anything for them. And if anything, it can make them look a little bit ridiculous. So heavy contouring is what I always say because people, it's it's a technique that's very, 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 very misunderstood. Mm. So that would be my answer if I would say anything. Um, what's and, and with that? What what's something you would want to see maybe a little bit more of? Um, that is maybe a, a lesser utilized technique? Tight lining. Okay. Okay, so tight lining is essentially, it's a technique where, let me see if I have it, let me see. Uh, it's essentially where you take um, a liner, either you would use kind of like um, an eyeliner or a liquid liner, and you kind of like smudge it up against your natural lash line. Mm-hmm. Well, let me see if I can show you. We're getting demos here. This is great. Basically, <laughs> oh, God, I have so much crap in my room. Um, okay, we're going to use a lip. We're going to use a lip liner because we're going to be about that life for a second. Hold on. <laughs> so essentially, like when you're doing any sort of eyeliner, there's going to be a gap between your natural lash line mm-hmm. and your actual lashes. Gotcha. And so, if you're doing anything that's either involving like smoking out the lash line or wearing heavy duty lashes, if you don't kind of fill in that gap with that lash liner, mm-hmm. it's going to look like there's there's going to be like a weird discrepancy. You're going to be able to see the gap between your lashes and your actual like lash line. There's going to be like a gap there that's going to make everything look weird gotcha. and incomplete. So I tell everyone like if you're going to be wearing mascara or you're going to be doing like or if you're going to be doing a heavy duty smoked out look, make sure to tight line because that makes everything look tied together. It makes everything more professional and it's super easy. It's an annoying technique to do at first because if you're not used to it, it's going to take a minute and it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But once you get used to it, it's life-changing i'm not even joking it's one of those techniques that like is like a finishing touch yeah. and it makes everything look very tied together and professional well you made that comparison earlier this is going to be a ridiculous uh comparison but you made a comparison earlier with uh like getting a haircut or what have you when you're doing your facials mm-hmm. and it's, I, I look at beijing's <laughs> when that black astral turf <laughs> no never mind never mind that's not that's not go there that's not like go there uh, but but to it, it's with, with the you said tight lining, right? Mm-hmm. That the way you described it reminds me of that that one detail that it brings, a, let's say, a haircut using that as the example to mm-hmm. that next level. It's like one of those extra attentions to detail. You're like, oh, yeah. you do that? Oh, okay, cool. I'm definitely coming back. And um, like I, the the grade of my hair is very weirdly ethnic. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't come in. Yours is full. Mine's is patchy. Oh, this and, takes me a hot minute to get to. Don't get me wrong. This is like this takes like a good four or five weeks. Like if I'm feeling froggy and I shave the entire thing off, I'm gonna look like Patch Adams at least until five <laughs> weeks. So, because like every couple of weeks I get sick of the beard. Yeah. And so whenever I start from scratch, I always regret it immediately. 
And then I just try to hide my face for the next, for like the next five weeks. I get tired of the mustache. I just go with it. And it looks like I'm like mm-hmm. praying to the, the, the South. I don't know. And, <laughs> but, but, but in it, the, the thing I'm, I'm thinking of is if I go to a barbershop and someone is really good with their razor work, mm-hmm. that that's the, that's that sign. Like, Oh yeah, you've practiced. And, um, as a person that I use a razor, I use a straight razor and mm-hmm. I line myself up to that. Not everyone can use a straight razor, nor do I nope. trust everyone using a straight oh, razor. Yeah, no, <laughs> I can really understand, but no, it's very much in that same kind of line where if you go to someone and they note a tight line, it's honestly a very standard technique, mm-hmm. but it's not a technique you don't notice unless you kind of like seen it gone badly. Um, okay. I'll use myself. For example, there was this one time where I was working at the Mac store and this woman came in. She just wanted a quick eyeshadow look. It would it should have taken like five, 10 minutes, and she would have been done and out the door. Me and my baby makeup artist tendencies, I did not think to <laughs> tightline her. So she has these really fair blondes, like blondish brunette lashes. She, they're not very distinct. And so with that kind of line, with if someone has that kind of uh, eyelash, you basically have to tightline them, or else there's going to be like a huge like gap between their actual lash line mm-hmm. and the actual makeup. It's like inherently noticeable. So I'm doing everything. Everything looks right. Everything looks fantastic. I send her out the door. And then my manager comes up to me and says, um, Perrin, why did that woman look insane when she walked out that door? And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean she looked insane? Like Perrin, you basically just have this gigantic line between her eyeshadow and her actual lashes. Basically, it looks like someone didn't know what they were doing, or they didn't take the, or they didn't do it like far down enough, essentially. Yeah. And so, if someone has like those super fair lashes and they don't have mascara and they don't have that tight lining, um, and they don't, and they're not tight lined, it's like hard to explain until you actually see it. Mm-hmm. Like if you've ever seen someone who has like fake lashes on, but there's also you actually see their like their actual lashes underneath it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it essentially. Oh no, that's actually it. Because if you're going to do lashes on top of your natural lashes, you have to use mascara to kind of blend them together. Yeah. And then since everything's kind of all blended up, you're going to see the actual lash line underneath it because all the hairs are crammed up. And so you basically just have this like big fleshy gap in between their lashes and their actual makeup. And it looks weird and unlike and undone. So it's one of those techniques. I'm not explaining it properly at all. No, but, but this is helpful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things where like, it's such a small detail, but it makes such a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So that's what I tell everyone. Like tight lining is like very, 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 very important. It doesn't sound as, as important as it should be, but it's one of those like techniques that takes like an amateur artist up into like a professional artist, in my opinion. One of the things I, I think, you know, again, I'm going to be stealing from many of the, the things you said as I re-listen to this, but I know one thing that I'm going to add to my repertoire because uh, my brother makes fun of me for wearing more and more rings. He's like, huh, you just been around the art scene, haven't you? And so I, I think I own eight rings now. He's like, you didn't own any last year. Now you got eight. And I was like, look, man, can I live? And uh, but I think I'm going to do like the wild, like emo eyeliner because like... Please do. Please do. I can believe... I sincerely believe more men should be comfortable with liner because I sinc- because it makes your eyes more intense and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be an insane amount. Yeah. Even mascara will get the job done. But I sincerely believe that more guys would honestly look more like intense and would look more like noticeable. And yeah. I mean that in like a in a very good way. Not, sure. Nothing that's like too stand out, too stand outish. Like if you just want to like judge things up just yeah. a little bit, either just like a little bit of mascara. Or like a little bit of or a little bit of eyeliner. 
I'm following it. it. Such a huge difference. Not even joking. I'm following it. And, and also, I'll add this one detail to it. I am 6'4", like 310. So it's just like... <laughs> Six me right here. We're a good company. We got you. I got you. You're good. <laughs> Oh, uh, so I got a few more real questions before I get to those rapid fire questions. Gotcha. So, and, and I think I know the answer here, or at least somewhat near what the answer might be. But how did your your background in graphic design inspire you to pursue a career in, in, in makeup? So I was basically learning how to do re, how to do retouching, essentially. And I was helping out a friend with a couple of images that they had worked on, and I was in the process of doing the retouching. And I just honestly kind of became really fascinated with how the makeup was actually, how the makeup actually looked and how it translated itself into like the actual image. And so like when I'm doing makeup, I like for the makeup to be a more cohesive part of the overall look. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I consider myself a team player of a makeup artist. I want to make sure that what I'm contributing to the look is actually contributive. And I became really fascinated with how like the look of the makeup contributed to the overall look of the photo shoot itself. And I was like, Okay, I need to know how they did that because that's freaking fascinating. Yeah, and there was also um, another contributing uh, contributing story where I basically saw this makeup artist um, who um, turned himself into Ursula from the um, from the Little, Little Mermaid. Mermaid, but it was like a high fashion editorial version of Ursula. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> how, "How? How did that? How did you do that?" Yeah. And so then I became slightly obsessed and took it from there. I dig it. it was just like from learning the retouching process and um, kind of like seeing in real life how makeup can contribute to and transform an overall concept. Mm-hmm. I became very fascinated with that process and wanted to be, and wanted to take part of it myself, essentially. Yeah. And, and, and I see in looking at because uh, I, I know photographers and things and I've interviewed a few models on here and you see what some retouch photos look like versus before they're retouched mm-hmm. and not every retoucher is uh, made equal. And, mm-hmm. and no, I definitely see that kind of correlation between how maybe let's say if I, I, I'm going to use the wrong word, but maybe right. foundation is used with how it's like, this looks too smooth. This is not how skin looks. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The way that retouching has kind of like evolved in the past couple of years has been really fascinating for like basically what I try to gauge my work on is like, would I be able to see this in a high-end magazine? Would I be able to see this work in like a Vogue or a Harper's Bazaar or a Nylon magazine? Something among those lines. And if you look at the way photos are retouched in those magazines versus the way a lot of photographers tend to, well, at least in the DMV area. Mm-hmm. I, I love my area, but some of the way retouching is done here. I would say Baltimore still has a lot of has a lot of room to grow. I'll say it in the, I'll say it in those terms. But um if you can't like, basically, I like to try and envision where I want to see my work, mm-hmm. and I try to cater it towards that aesthetic, if yeah. that makes sense. It does. And so, a lot of retouching, they don't really consider what they're going for, what they're trying to do before they're retouching. Before they start retouching, they just think, "Oh, that looks bad. I had to like smooth this over," and then they just do that to the entire face, and then basically the entire image looks like they just kind of like threw some Vaseline on the lens and kind of just kept kept it pumping. So. It's very similar to the the editing process, like for a podcast or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. And I go back to as a, as a person that used to do it. I used to do all of my editing. At one point, I would do five different shows in a week, and oh, wow. so you can imagine all of the editing that goes along with with doing that. And mm-hmm. it was very meticulous about it. Like for the most part, with this conversation, there's going to be minimal editing, maybe some levelation and music, but wow. it's not much trimming that happens, right? Wow. And 
you look, I would go back and look at my process beforehand, it would be too manicured. It's like, let me remove these ums, let me remove this. And naturally, in doing that process, you're removing the authenticity of it. You're removing yep. the actual conversation. It makes a lot of sense. So I got one last uh, question before I get to those rapid fire ones. What, okay, okay. what is a, a memorable, uh, the most memorable job or a memorable job for you that comes to mind? Or memorable luck for you that comes to mind? Okay. So let's see. A couple years ago, um, I was working with my mentor, Jamea Moore. Um, we did this fashion show up in New York. And that kind of like is what solidified my love of fashion makeup in that moment. Only because like I was thriving in that environment. It was very chaotic. It was very rushed. It was very manic, but I was able to like pump out these like really kind of like well thought out looks. So for those of you who don't know, when you're working on a fashion show, you have the key makeup artists and they're the person that comes up with the overall makeup look for all the models that are, are that are meant to happen in this particular shoot. Mm -hmm. So maybe you'll have like three different looks the key makeup artist will design them and you uh, as the regular makeup artist are kind of like designated a particular look to execute. And so I'm sitting, I'm sitting there, models keep getting sent over to me and I'm just like knocking out these looks and I'm just like, Oh my God, I don't have to think about anything. I can just like create and set and keep it moving. Mm -hmm. And that environment was just like very, very just kind of like, Oh my God, this is what I want to do. This is so much fun. That's kind of like where I kind of like solidified. This is, this is the kind of work that I want to do. And this is the kind of work that I'm very proud of. And I remember <laughs> like there was one particular instance where naturally I'm very much, I keep things relatively low key in the terms of the looks, because when you're starting your makeup artistry, people will tell you over and over again, make sure make you're meant to use as little as possible. You work, you start up very small because you can build up, you can build it up. But once you have something on the face, you can't take it back as easily. So I'm working my way, building up the looks, and it's taking way, taking me way too long. And I'm dragging the model over to my key, over to the key makeup artist, asking them for approval. <laughs> my, and my mentor, Mr. Mitchie, just looks at me and says, "Parent, put more on her." God. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, understood. Got it. I'm good. Noted. <laughs> Noted." Because basically, I was just like, I was being so apprehensive that I was holding everything up, mm -hmm. and it kind of just like solidified that. I need to be able to better grasp. Basically, I need to be able to self-edit more. And that's one of those kind of like key moments where I was able to kind of like discern one of those really important aspects of being a makeup artist is the ability to self-edit. And that is like probably the most valuable skill that I have so far as an artist where I can kind of like look, take a look at where my progress is and see if that's like, if I'm okay to stop essentially. Yeah. Because that is... That is one of the biggest issues that makeup artists, that a lot of makeup artists have is that they don't know when to stop. Mm. And so in that moment, I was kind of like able to kind of discern like, okay, I have the eye that can kind of help me to figure out where I am and where I need to be. I need to be able to rely on that more. And so that's like, I don't know, that is like one of those moments that kind of like really solidifies in my head that's, that this is what I want to do and that I actually have the skill set to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a trust thing. It reminds me of, I, I, I remember when, and the NBA players started realizing that clothing was more than hoodies and track jackets and things of that sort. <laughs> and I just remember Dwayne Wade. He's like, man, he's a he's a fashion player. I was like, he's over accessorized. And yeah. I'm, I'm just sitting there just like looking at it. I was like, I wear Carhartt shirts all the time. I was like, he's over accessorized. Yeah, you have, your, like, your pocket square has a pocket square, like, sir. Less. <laughs> less. <laughs> you could have saved the hat. We didn't need the hat. We didn't need a hat moment. I get you. <laughs> I, I feel like, like, like Cam Newton turned into a hat comedian, which Yes. <laughs> he looked like Steve Hardy's understudy for a moment and he would I didn't understand it. 
Yes. It's like, and the Batman will die at midnight. That's what I feel like was happening at one point. All right. So now, now I got some rapid fire questions for you. Hit me. And, you know, the way that this goes is, uh, and one of these you already answered. So I'm gonna, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still re-ask it, though, because I want to okay. have that in there. All right. Um, now, this, some of these come out of, like, just, just my internet stalking. Uh, so I read that there are three different stories about why you became a makeup artist. Which one would be the basis of your biopic? Uh, let's see. The tale of horror and revenge, I think, is the one that is most indicative of my story as an artist so far. It involves like eldritch terrors. Cthulhu makes an appearance. Nice. <laughs> you know, it's a convoluted story, but it very much contributes to my identity as an artist. So I would say that one. That's a good answer. Good answer. Uh, now you, you said this, but I'm still going to ask it. But if you can say this in, let's say five words. Okay. Describe the role of a makeup artist. To make the client look like they drink water. <laughs> It's more than five, but five. <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, like honestly, like if that if every makeup artist was just capable of making a person in their chair just make them look like they drink water on a regular basis, could drink more water. I sincerely believe like the world would honestly be a better place because like if everyone could be a little bit less crusty. <laughs> I know a few crusty <laughs> podcasters out here, so you know. <laughs> There's but a few shots there. You don't have to remove all the crust. You don't have to remove all the crust, just enough. 30% like, less crust. 3% less crust. And now we'd be able to get somewhere. <laughs> um, so so this, is, this is why, and I always like the aftercare, I always like the reflection period. Um, mm-hmm. what, what's that feeling that you have seeing your work in print? It depends on how the look itself went. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> because a lot of times you're not able to kind of pick which image is the one that gets published. But I remember the, like, so I had, I did a photo shoot with Natalie Wynn, who was also known by ContraPoints, and her image was posted in Paper Magazine a couple years ago. And that was like the first time I'd ever had my work in like a major publication. And I was just like, I've gone over way the rapid fire, by the way. But essentially, but essentially it's just like, holy crap, I did it. Like, holy crap. Like my work is in an actual like professional magazine. Oh my God. Like, holy shit. How did that happen? (laughs) That's essentially that's essentially the reaction. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's great. Um, it, it was one one thing I did recently. That's the same photo shoot. It's like uh, the one I was referring to earlier. I was like, yo, that that hoodie could be a little looser, Rob. What were you thinking? Did you go to the gym that day? Because um, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll peacock a little bit. So let me go a size smaller. It's like huh, this Morehouse shirt does not fit. Oh, I've very much been in that same like I've very much been in that same vein where it's like. Oh, I did not look in the mirror when <laughs> I stepped out the house, did I? Oh, well, we'll just roll the punches for this one. Absolutely. Uh, so this is the last one. Um, okay. Preferred mode of showing appreciation. Do you snap, clap, whistle? What is your way of like, you know what? I like that. Snaps or claps. What do you, what do, you do there? I'm very much a snaps kind of person. Like I'm very much like a, a yeah. snaps kind of person. Yeah. I feel as if it's it's subtle enough where if you if the person who's receiving the compliment isn't like necessarily like embarrassed by it, but they can yeah. still like they recognize the appreciation of it. Like because you know like a lot of times there are people who haven't learned how to take a compliment. Well, not take compliment. They're not good at receiving compliments. Sure. And so like I think like snap just like a nice way to like, like acknowledge. Like, I appreciate what you did, yeah. but I don't want to put you on blast in case you're not comfortable with it. So we're going to go for like a nice little snap and kind of just like have a, have a physical reaction to, to appreciate the moment, but not nothing that's going to put you out there if you're not comfortable with it. I dig it. That's my, that's my logic, at, at least. 
No, nah, that's, that's that's solid. I um I do something that's a little more off putting. I, I just point like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, now that can be that can be very threatening if you point at someone oh, yeah. with a r- wrong facial expression. You're pointing at. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all of the questions that I have. And if you felt that there was anything that we really didn't cover, um, feel free to to talk about that briefly and um, tell the fine folks where to check you out. Oh well, thank you so much for asking. Um, you can uh, reach me at AaronMorris.com. First name, last name dot com. P e r r i n m o r r i s dot com. Uh, you can also find me on pk.mua on Instagram. And I guess I just want to leave with basically my makeup philosophy is that I personally believe that makeup should be accessible to um, everyone of every gender, and that includes the makeup that they choose to wear and the makeup that they don't choose to wear. Basically, I am a being who appreciates all forms of, of expression. And so therefore I want to make sure that makeup as a concept is accessible to everyone and, and for those who choose to embrace it and even those who choose not to. That was great. Thank you. I do what I can. So there you have it folks. Um, I want to again, thank Aaron K. Morris for coming on to the podcast. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it.